Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. You know, more often than not in this life, we do what we got to do for family. And uh, guess what? If you're within the sound of my voice, that must mean you're in the seats with once more. As always, my name is Dave Voigt, and I'm the host of this podcast, where we sit down with a wide-ranging variety of entertainment industry professionals. We pick their brain about current projects, state of the industry, how they got started, and so very much more in a light and in a conversational fashion. And, you know, if you like how we do things around here, I'm going to assume that you do, because, uh, quite frankly, you're listening. Uh, and if you are listening, uh, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. gives you a five-star rating on your podcast provider of choice. We're available pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google. And plus, we archive every single one of our episodes over at our In The Seats YouTube channel. So if you can give us a like and subscribe there as well, we would absolutely appreciate it. Also, don't hesitate to check us out on uh, the social media platforms. Uh, we're on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, Letterboxd, the TikTok, and probably a few other places too, at, where else would we be? We're at In The Seats for all sorts of fun updates. And finally, and I do dare say most importantly, please pay us a visit over at In The Seats, intheseats.ca, for all the latest and greatest from the world of film, television, basically the moving image at large, because guess what? If we love to sit down and watch it and write about it and talk about it, we love it even more when you come by and read about it and listen about it. So please do us that kindness and come and pay us a visit. On this episode, we got a good one that is, uh, you know, hitting theaters, limited run. Uh, this coming Friday, another piece of uh, dynamic and fantastic example of CanCon cinema that is out there and being put out there into the world. It's called Aura, and it's the story of a Nigerian immigrant taxi driver in Toronto who agrees to launder dirty money for her boss in exchange for bringing her son over from Nigeria. But when the plan goes horribly wrong... Aura takes matters into her own hands to settle the score. This is this is common people put into extraordinary situations. This is a film that highlights a lot of the sad realities about about the immigrant experience for some people, but also manages to turn it into a a, a pretty solid crime thriller as well. And I mean, it's uh, it is a fantastic watch. Like I said, it is coming to theaters uh, for a limited run uh, pretty much now uh, tomorrow, uh, but. Uh, we had the unique pleasure of sitting down and talking with the man behind it all, uh, the writer-director of the film, uh, Lonzo Nzwike. If I pronounce that wrong, I do apologize. We asked about uh, uh, the origins of the story and putting this all together, and so very much more. But like I said, go check out Aura. It opens this Friday in limited theatrical release. I'm sure, pretty sure it's coming to VOD soon as well. But uh, first, enjoy our talk with Lonzo, because between you and me, it's a darn good one. All right, well, Lonzo, man. First off, I just want to say thank you so much for the time today. I mean, congrats on the movie, man. It's a hell of a it's a hell of a ride, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Now, I guess my first question is like, walk me through uh, the origin of the story. Like, what made you want to tell this story? Um, after I finished my first film in two thousand and ten, uh, um, Anchor Baby, um, I decided to you know kind of venture in something because it was a drama. I wanted to write a crime thriller. So, and um, with that crime thrill, I wanted something more in the maybe money laundry, um, sure. with yeah. money laundry elements. So I started off as a money laundry element. And then in the process, one of the characters, which happened to be Aura, kind of like morphed from a secondary character to a primary mm-hmm. character and took over the story, per se. So I, um, uh, it now became a revenge crime story. 
Um, and then in that process, while I was developing, it was just your typical genre crime um, revenge uh, flick until um, sometime in around 2016, my brother was murdered in Nigeria. So uh, by police officers and, you know, so that led me to going back to Nigeria to figure out what happened to my brother. And after being frustrated for, for a long time without getting to the bottom of it, um, and my mother asked me to that, you know, to kind of like leave the case because it was turning into a nightmare for her and for the whole family. So we we ended up the case without having a closure. So I decided since I'm a writer to kind of channel that whole energy into, into my writing. And then totally. some of the elements now kind of became what now we see today as aura. Now, I mean, talk to me a little bit just about, I guess, finding your aura, finding uh, Oyen, because, I mean, she was fantastic. And you really had really a great cast. I can imagine uh, casting on this was probably, uh, you know, 90% of the job for you. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that was the the most important thing was us to finding the, the real aura. We had auditions um, here in Toronto, opened it up for everybody pretty much, and anybody you could think of in the city, you know, that fit that profile came in for the audition and um Oyin stood out you know she was our own aura by you know after we, uh, everything was said and done it was a battle though like finding the people because at, at a point we had to narrow it down to three people right. but Oyin took took the reins and became the aura that we needed and we've never looked back since then I I appreciated on this film that and I mean again this is this is something that can happen with, uh, you know, filmmakers working in the independent space, basically with no money, uh, that they run into sort of, you know, when they have to have an action sequence, they can sort of shoehorn in a in an effect that doesn't necessarily look all that good. The action here looks kind of really good. Like, can you talk to me a little bit just about how you wanted this to try to play as naturally as possible? Because, I mean, again, like, even in the action moments, nothing felt forced, nothing felt sort of fakey. It all felt very organic and, and gritty and real. Thank you for, for that observation. Um, as you can see, like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned that I, this is a story I started writing around 2011. So it's like, it's been with me for like over a decade, like working on this story. So, um, uh, you know, I'm also an editor, so I kind of like, and I write, so I, I kind of know what looks cheesy and what's not right, cheesy. And I right. What what my budget is and what not to um what not to write in you know we had to you know cut out for a lot of scenes that were gonna cost us money for the sake of it not being um uh, cheesy if that's the word we want to use here so um I did a lot of storyboarding um you know really taking my time and and not forcing it and that's one thing I try not to pull punches in my and my story, the way I write, and also the way I direct. So a lot of preparations went into it, pre-production, having the stunt people um, out there, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, the, the the elements that we want, how we want it to, 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 to come out is how it's going to come out. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it came down to the actors and the crew, the cast and crew. I had a great production designer um, in Toronto and in Nigeria because we shot in both countries. 
right? So the production designer here, uh, Mark Kowalski, a great production designer. And then we had um, Bisola in Nigeria, um, a young lady who um, we nicknamed her the, the magician because she did a lot of magic for us to make sure that everything came together and looked amazing. For sure. For sure. Now, I mean, I'm curious because obviously this story is to some varying degree, something that's going on in the real world multiple times over every single day of the week. But at the same time, in watching the movie, it was still very entertaining. It never felt like it was a piece of social commentary. It felt very much driven by narrative. Like, how important was it for you to sort of thread that needle and make it more about the characters and the narrative than rather than trying to, quote unquote, say something with it? And, and that's the thing, like when I go watch a movie and then it try to, it becomes too preachy, I kind of tune off yeah. because I, I like to I like to discover things, uh, you know, like the way I look at cinema is like cinema is supposed to ask a question. It's supposed to by the time you finish watching, it's supposed to, you know, put you in a position where you are. It stays. It's like it vibrates through you, like you're asking. What did I just watch? What did I just witness? And that's what I want the audience to feel. I don't want to, I, I want to present the situation and for you to now make your own conclusions without, you know, was she right doing this? Was she, you know, not, nobody is a saint in the story. You understand? And, and, and I, I, and I prefer it that way as opposed to, you know, trying to shoehorn it and make you feel like, okay, this is, this what's happening in Nigeria, this is what's happening in Canada, and this is how it has to be. No, it's I present the situations with these characters that are flawed, by the way. And it's for you now to see the humanity in what they do and the, the journey they go through. And then after that you can have a discussion about you know what you just witnessed. And that's how I prefer uh, my own cinema as well. What is it about those kind of characters who are, you know, like you say, I mean, you know, in many respects, they're normal everyday people, but they are pushed to those brinks. They are pushed past those lines that we think are kind of socially acceptable to to go to these places where, like you say, you know, at the end of the day, no one's a saint. No one, no one's, a, you know, no, you know, everyone has their foibles, everyone has their flaws, but I mean, it's all shades of, like, what is it about those shades of gray? That make it, so it it's human. It's human. Like we are all human beings, right? Yeah. So a real human being, we all have our flaws, right? And then it, every single one of us, when we present our own flaws, you see that it doesn't matter if you're the pope, he has a flaw. It doesn't matter if you're the president, he has his own flaws. Even if it's not obvious to the public, but when he goes home and looks in the mirror, he sees he knows those flaws, and that's what attracts people like me to cinema to say, okay, I'm trying to see someone that looks like me, even if nobody knows this, but I, I can live vicariously through these people because they're talking to me. And that's the more reason why you don't preach when you when you um, make this type of stories, because you, you just want to present and say, hey, look at someone that looks like you and you make Maybe you can work on yourself based on what you just witnessed without me saying this is what you got to do to better yourself or to be worse than, you know, than you were. So it's it's um, it's the humanity in the stories. I think that's what attracts us because me, I always go with what attracts me. I put myself because I, I write and direct and produce. So I always 
put myself first in in that situation. If if I'm not feeling it, if if, if I write it and it doesn't feel real to me, then I I don't subscribe to it. I wouldn't want to sell it to you. Yeah. But if I can connect to it, there's a high chance that someone else that feels the same way as I do will connect to it as well. How do you manage to keep, I guess, the the creative energy and the vision going, especially when you're shooting in two very different locations? Because, I mean, I can imagine other than a few key people, you might, you probably had a lot of turnover between the different crews that you had while you were shooting. Actually, we didn't have a lot of turnover. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the that. yeah. We this we had a long prep time, but this movie you've seen it, right? This movie yeah. we literally shot nine days in Sudbury and ten days in Nigeria. That's excluding the pre-production, right. the, the, the you know stages, right? You know, we 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 understood how much we had, right? The story we we prepped it. I knew because I had storyboards for all the action scenes that I wanted to do. Made sure you know I'm writing, I'm editing myself. I knew like what I need and what I don't need. So I kind of like you know even when we went to Nigeria, we were we were auditioning over on Zoom while we were shooting in Sudbury. We had a second unit team in Nigeria prepping, getting ready. As soon as we finished in Sudbury. I came home, spent a night at home with my family, and flew, got on a plane, a 24-hour flight back to Nigeria. And in a few more days, we started shooting in Nigeria again. And if if you have any idea about shooting in Nigeria, it's no cakewalk. Like shooting in Canada, which we thought was, was tough, Nigeria is a tougher um, place to be in terms of shooting. And... Um, and when you, when you watch it, you see how beautiful Nigeria looks like from from what we managed to do with that. So um, it's preparation. I had the right crew. My cinematographer Ricardo Diaz was amazing, right? He, yeah. you know, and he was the only person. And my producer and line producer, we all went to Nigeria. All the crew in Nigeria, different crew, including the production designer, the whole thing. So. The only person I took care of was my um, DOP that that was like working behind a camera, you know. Fantastic. Well, I mean, you guys did a fantastic job because, I mean, obviously in both places, there's a through line of the tension and the drama and everything that's going on. And I mean, in watching the film, it kind of reminded me of some of those classic sort of independent 70s crime thrillers that we got coming out of New York back in the day. And I mean, I'm curious just to start putting a bow on this. Like, talk to me a little bit about the movies that kind of had the light bulb go off in your head and made you want to be a filmmaker. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say I'm a big fan of Taxi Driver. Um, yeah, Taxi Driver, it, it's one of my favorite. The Bicycle Thief. Oh, um, totally, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I consume cinema from all over the world. One of my favorite gangster movies is uh, The Gangster of Wesley Park. He came to TIFF. Um, oh, that's a, oh I love that movie. That movie's yeah, so Yeah, it had a part one and a part two. It's like six hours, you know. Um, and then, um, you know, Tarantino, Inglorious Bastards uh, from Tarantino, um, Pulp Fiction. I, I, lo I love The Goodfellas, 
you know, um, love Nigerian cinema as well. There's a great movie from Nigeria called The Rattlesnake, done uh, uh, in the 90s. It's one of my favorite yeah. movies. So I, I leave it right there. So I, I try to consume, um, you know, cinema from different parts of the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love that you've done that, man. And I mean, I love that this is coming out for Canadian audiences to see because. Man, in my mind, this is the best of Canadian cinema because it's bringing so many different worlds and so many different styles together. And I mean, I think that is really sort of quintessentially Canadian. And I mean, it really highlights uh, what you've done with this film because I think it's a fantastic piece of work. And I mean, I think people are really going to enjoy it. But I mean, again, Lonzo, just thank you so much for the time. And uh, congrats on the work. Seriously, I can't wait for more people to see it. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you giving us the platform to talk about the film. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Good luck. And don't forget to, to visit our friends over at Bay Street Video for all your DVD, Blu-ray rental, or purchasing needs this summer, as they are still open for curbside and some mailing delivery as well. Over at 1172 Bay Street, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, you can give them a call at 416-964-9088. That's 416-964-9088. Or send them an email at baystreetvideoto at gmail.com for any of your DVD and... And Blu-ray needs.